Podcastle, episode 337, for November 13th, 2014, 13 Incantations, by Desirena Boscovich, rated R, contains young love. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle, the place where you can get your weekly fix of the best in fantasy fiction week after week. I'm your host and co-editor, Dave Thompson. Before we get started, I mentioned at the end of last week's episode that we'll be closing for submissions for the rest of the year, as of November 15th. It turns out, though, that that was only half true. Let me tell you about a goddess named Artemis. You may or may not know that she was one of the Greek gods, described as the daughter of Zeus and the twin of Apollo. But Artemis is many things to many people. A goddess to some, yes. To others, someone out for blood and revenge, possibly even an early female serial killer. And still to others, an inspiration. An early imagining of a woman in space. We at Escape Artists, not just Podcastle, I'm talking escape artists, including Escape Pod and Pseudopod, are very pleased to announce Artemis Rising, which will be the first ever crossover event that we feature here at all three podcasts. In the month of February next year, Podcastle, Pseudopod, and Escape Pod will be bringing you a month of fiction by some of the best female writers working in genre. Think of it as a hat tip to Lightspeed's Amazing Women Destroy special issues. Now, while it is going to be an event across all three podcasts, you know that we do things each a little bit differently. Here at Podcastle, what we're most excited about is that for that entire month, we're going to be doing a whole month of Podcastle Originals. These stories are going to flat out kick your ass. I've seen some of them already. We've got one or two so far. But we're looking for more. That's where you come in and where I get back to that half-truth I mentioned earlier. If you're a female author and you have a piece of original fiction, we'd love to see it in our pile. I'm going to link to our special guidelines for this in our show notes, but the short of it is, send us your best original story. Label it Artemis Rising Submission in the subject line, along with the story title, and get it to us by December 5th. That's right, December 5th. There's not a lot of lead time here, I realize that, but we have faith in you. We're all super excited about this event, and we can't wait for you to be a part of it too, whether it's as our audience or as one of our writers. I also want to give a special shout out to Rachel Jones and her team for coming up with such a catchy name. So, that's the news, folks. Artemis Rising. Submissions due by December 5th. We'll see you all in February of 2015. Okay, let's move on to this week's story. Let me tell you about one of my favorite books, Alex Garland's The Beach. It's one of those I read probably about four or five times in as many years, and now it's been like a decade. I really should go back to it sometime soon. In it, our protagonist proclaims his disdain for diaries. He explains that he kept a travel diary once, but that only messed things up for him because all he could remember from that trip was what he wrote down. 
This book was written in 1997 or so, I think. I'd be really curious to see how he handled the advent of cell phones that take pictures and social media and all that jazz. But anyway, he says that while he hates travel diaries, one of the things he'd love is a kind of recorder of smells and scents, because nothing transports you to a place like the sense of smell. Sensory details are something we adore at Podcastle, and so when today's story came into our editorial pile, the prose and sensory details author Desirina Boscovich used left me dizzy and intoxicated. Today, we have a delicious, delirious story of young love, summer, and growing up. We're very proud to present 13 Incantations by Desirina Boscovich. Originally published in Realms of Fantasy back in 2011, reprinted in Heiress of Rust 2012, the year's best lesbian speculative fiction, edited by Connie Wilkins and Steve Berman. Desirina Boscovich's short fiction has also appeared in Fantasy Magazine, Clark's World, Nightmare and Lightspeed. She's a graduate of the Clarion Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Workshop, class of 2007, and has lived in all four corners of the United States as well as in the middle. She makes her living as a freelance writer and marketing consultant. She's co-authoring the upcoming Steampunk User's Manual with Jeff Vandermeer, which is both an art book and a creative how-to guide, with tons of gorgeous images and lots of pragmatic advice from working artists for that special goggle-wearing roguish inventor in your life. She has a new story out, and the end is now, the second volume of the Apocalypse Triptych anthologies, edited by John Joseph Adams and Hugh Howey. Her story in the previous volume was easily one of my favorites and can be heard on the Drabblecast. Hey, I actually narrated a story for the end is now. Cool. She recently appeared here at Podcastle with the story Sandcastles at the beginning of this year. Good times. Our reader this week is no stranger to Podcastle, or podcasting in general. We're delighted to have Tina Connolly back here. Tina's the author of the fantastic novels Iron Skin, Copperhead, and Silverblind. She's also the host of the best flash fiction podcast that melts in your ears and not in your hands, Toasted Cake. We're delighted to have her back. So, breathe in deeply and enjoy the story. Thirteen Incantations by Desirina Boscovich In the south, spring unfolds like magic, temporary and tantalizing. And then it becomes summer, something else entirely. This year the cusp fell on the last week of school. Spring ripened into sticky summer, while seniors dreamed of future cities. Sun-drenched mornings and long-lit evenings made homework feel irrelevant. Euphoria infected the school like a virus. This was the week that things began between Elizabeth and Anna Selina. Elizabeth had lived in the same house in the same neighborhood since the week she was born. With dishwater blonde hair and liquid blue eyes, she looked like everyone else in her family, all the way back to the great-grandparents who first eked out livings on North Carolina farms. Her family was average. One mother, one father, one boy, one girl, even a dog and cat. The pets kept to themselves. 
She liked reading more than television. She'd known many of her classmates since first grade. She was not popular, but neither was she disliked. Anna Selina was the new girl. She stumbled into their suburban world, ridiculous with her clinking bracelets and swinging skirts and vivid scarves. In the cafeteria, she held court with the misfits, leaning into long conversations, poring over the dog-eared sketchbooks they showed her. At parties, she came early and stayed late, smuggling in a bottle of red wine. In the long hallway between classes, her laughter rang through the noise like a melody. Everyone loved her. For months, Elizabeth sat behind Anna Selina in English class. Anna Selina's energy was thrilling and worrying. It made Elizabeth long for something indefinable. Occupied by these thoughts, Elizabeth missed the best parts of Hamlet and Madame Bovary, but knew exactly how many freckles Anna Selina had on each shoulder. Seven on the left, four on the right. Things went on like this until one day in late spring. Elizabeth sat by herself, reading The Awakening and eating lunch. Bologna sandwich, juice box, and chips. It was the same lunch her mother made for her every morning. Elizabeth didn't even like bologna. In fact, she was thinking about becoming a vegetarian. Suddenly, Anna Selina materialized beside her. Grace and you live off Oakland Street, she said, by way of introduction. Elizabeth swallowed hastily. I do? So do I. Oh, doesn't that book just make you want to strangle someone? Elizabeth knew Anna Selina's house, though she'd never been inside. It was a gloomy Victorian, unlike any of the other houses in the neighborhood. They make faces at it, Anna Selina would say. The other homes were solid and practical, ranch-style brick with aluminum shutters and earth-toned trim. If you used the bathroom at your neighbor's house, you didn't need to ask for directions. Anna Selina's house was built of wood, with a wraparound porch and arched Victorian windows. It was the color of milk chocolate, with intricate pink and crimson trim, and it was right off the main road where everyone could see it. The neighbors didn't know how this had come about, but they weren't happy about it. So, Anna Selina said, you want to come over sometime? Elizabeth had been curious about the Victorian house for years. Once she was inside, it won her over. The house was filled with ephemera, harvested from a lifetime of travel. Copper plates, ceramic vases, Persian rugs and burgundy and yellow, eclectic art pieces. Window shelves held glass bottles and turquoise and blue. Crystals dangled over the kitchen sink, spinning rainbows from light. Potted plants grew lush. Nothing matched. It was a mishmash of beloved things that formed a charmingly incoherent whole. The two girls sat in Anna Selina's room. Anna Selina's gray cat rubbed at their ankles, demanding affection. They talked about college. It was all anyone talked about these days. Elizabeth was going to a state university three hours away. Anna Selina was headed to a school in London. I need a break from Nev, she explained. Nev? My mom. Come on, I'll introduce you. 
She's probably down in her secret lab. Anna Selina rolled her eyes. Elizabeth followed Anna Selina through the house, down the stairs, past the kitchen, to a closed door. Anna Selina knocked, then paused, waiting for the muffled, Come in. Anna Selina opened the door and fragrance rushed out like the surf. Fleeting florals, ripe fruits, fresh greenery, ancient spices. Each scent struggled to make itself known. Stunned, Elizabeth gazed around the room. It was large and filled with shelves. Each shelf was lined with trays, each just like Anna Selina's. Hello, girls, she said, smiling. You must be Elizabeth. Welcome to my secret lab. As you can see, this is where I concoct my brews. She's a perfumer, Anna Selina explained. She works on contract for perfume brands. She creates new scents for their lines. Like Calvin Klein and stuff? Elizabeth asked. They nodded. Are those all perfumes? Elizabeth asked, gesturing at the vials that line the walls. Not yet, Nev said. More like ingredients, really. Nev was unlike any mom Elizabeth knew. Elizabeth's own mother was a housewife, except for Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays when she worked mornings in the office at their church. She didn't even wear perfume. Elizabeth wanted to stay and ask Nev dozens of questions. She wanted to sniff every vial, maybe even sample a perfume that no one else had ever worn before. But Anna Selina seemed anxious to leave. Come on, she said, pulling her away. I'll make you a snack. Elizabeth helped Anna Selina grill cheese sandwiches and slice Granny Smith apples. Sitting at Anna Selina's kitchen table, eating off fine china and drinking from a blue plastic tumbler, Elizabeth was totally content. Days passed as summer sprawled uneventfully. The girls began spending the evenings together and then sleeping over. They went to bookstores and coffee shops and art supply stores. They explored the woods that bound their neighborhood together, connecting the streets and cul-de-sacs like musculature. The woods became their favorite place, cool and quiet during the hot afternoons. Then came a day when everything changed. It began like all the other days. They were in the woods, sitting side by side on the surface of a large boulder, watching the creek as it flowed below. It streamed through wooded hills, fast and narrow at some places, wide and still at others, collecting silt and wishes on its way. The drought had left banks of muddled red clay. Summer thunderstorms would choke the creek with rain once more. Elizabeth's feet dangled over the water's edge. Her palms lay flat against the stone. In the breeze, Anna Selina's hair tickled whisper-soft against Elizabeth's spare shoulder and accidental intimacy. They were silent, thinking private thoughts, appreciating the music of chirping birds, running water, quarreling squirrels. Then Anna Selina turned and looked at Elizabeth. I have a secret for you, she said. Elizabeth's heart beat faster, a rhythm that spiraled into itself. 
Okay, was all she could manage. It's complicated. Yes. It's about my mom. Oh, Elizabeth said, her breath whooshing outwards. What is it, she asked, confident that this secret couldn't be as interesting as her own. She's a witch. Elizabeth laughed, but Anna Selina didn't laugh with her. I'm serious. It's not black magic or anything like that. But she knows some spells. Most of them have to do with perfume. Anna Selina tended to exaggerate, making this revelation a bit hard to take. Elizabeth waited for further explanation, but none came. Like real magic? she asked finally. Yes, Anna Selina said. Real magic. Her mother taught her. And her mother taught her, I guess. What other spells does she know? Elizabeth hoped for the classics. Spells to make yourself beautiful, or rich, or beloved by the one who meant most to you. Little things. Finding lost socks. Mending broken dishes. Making flowers grow. No beauty potions? No. No curses against your enemies? I don't think so. Oh. The perfumes she makes for work have just a teeny tiny bit of magic in them. The ones with real magic she keeps for herself. Have you tried them? Well, that's the thing. I found this box. What's in it? Perfumes. Twelve of them. They're magic. I held a couple of the vials in my hand. They have that tingle. I feel it in my fingertips. And? I want to try them. With you. Does your mom know you found them? Maybe, Anna Selina said, looking away and twirling a strand of hair around her index finger. I think she wanted me to find them. The box was in Anna Selina's bedroom, beneath the bed. The girls sat facing each other, solemn and cross-legged, the box between them. It was the size of a shoebox, made of wood. The lid was a paper collage of exploding roses and foreign architecture. Inside the box were twelve vials, each the size of Elizabeth's little finger. The girls watched each other, tense and tingling. Let's do it, Anna Selina said finally. You pick. The vials weren't numbered. Their titles were handwritten in black ink on white labels. Elizabeth chose First Herb Garden in the City. Trembling slightly, she handed the vial to Anna Selina. With practiced fingers, Anna Selina popped the stopper from the vial. She placed her index finger over the opening and tipped it to the side so the liquid coated her finger. She dabbed it onto her collarbone and the insides of her elbows. Then she handed it to Elizabeth, who did the same. They stretched out on the bed with their hands tucked behind their heads and their eyes closed. The fragrance washed over them and created a world.
Notes of bay leaf, basil, and parsley evaporate first, complex and aromatic, then subtle sage and French lavender, and the ethereal sweetness of honeysuckle. More complicated scents, moist potting soil, the musty rot of old gardening gloves, and the sharp tang of cedar wood warmed by the sun. Scents evolve into sensations, the sun warming the wood is hot on her neck. The traffic is a faraway voice below, murmuring and bellowing by turns. A gray haze of pollution floats over the city skyline, thickening in the distance. Nev tends her garden, teaching her plants to flourish with the kindest and gentlest spells she knows. The scent faded, or rather the memory faded. The world it evoked shimmered and then disappeared. The scent remained, a fragrant whiff of basil and honeysuckle. The girls smiled faintly at one another. Elizabeth blushed, looked away, unable to speak. Anna Selina sat up, resting her arms on folded knees. Her hair curtained her face, flowing straight on either side. See, she said, her mouth laughing, her eyes inscrutable. I told you. You didn't believe me, did you? I didn't know what you meant. Anna, can you do this? Will your mother teach you the spells? I'll never let her. Why not? Magic devours people. I'm never going to be that person. But I don't want to talk about it. In silent agreement, they waited several days before returning to the box, until the lingering scent and the creases of their arms had faded completely. Anna Selina deliberated, stroking fingertips along the white labels, inspecting her mother's looping cursive. Elizabeth waited. Eventually, Anna Selina spoke. This one. Chance meeting in Istanbul. Opium bitter and cinnamon-rich smells of incense washed with faded curls of tobacco. A whiff of crushed grape leaves. Dark roasted coffee. Aromas of food, spicy meat dripping fat, eggplants sizzling in fresh olive oil. The air is thick with pollution, a heaviness to every breath that stinks of ozone and leaded fuel. Base notes flutter with a slight ocean breeze. Nev navigates crowded streets, the scents carrying her, noise blending in uneven registers. She turns a corner and there he is. His face emerges from the faceless crowd. He's exactly as beautiful as she remembers. The dark hair, studious eyes, three-day-old shave. His smile is quick. Recognition hits her, a punch in the stomach and then her chest soars upward, leaving her bruised stomach behind. It's him, always him, in the middle of nowhere, in the center of everywhere. Elizabeth dragged her fingers across the surface of Anna Selina's puffy comforter, remembering the man's face, handsome and familiar. That's your father, Elizabeth said. Yes. Do you remember him? Elizabeth asked. Not really. He left when I was small. 
I don't think he liked magic very much. Elizabeth wondered how anyone could dislike magic this fragile and perfect, but the expression on Anna Selina's face told her not to say more. Instead, they rested together, fingers barely touching, until they fell asleep. They napped through the late afternoon until the sun slanted low through the windows. A day in the orchard gathering peaches. Mellow essence of peach, sweet as syrup. The green leaves rustling in the summer breeze. The stickiness of sap trickling down bark. The living smell of warm dirt. The sun warming the aluminum ladder. Sheer fuzz sticking to Nev's fingers and hands. Nev is young, girl-sized, full of curiosity. There's an ache in her shoulders as she reaches above her head and the muted thunk of each peach as she drops it into the pail. A fleeting scent memory as she imagines the cinnamon clove spice of hot peach pie. Her mother wears a colorful headscarf and sings an incomprehensible song. One day she'll teach Nev the words, but not yet. Tell me about your grandmother, Elizabeth asked. So Anna Selina explained her family history and how secret knowledge passed from mother to daughter. For generations, the family lived in Grasse, the perfume capital of the world. In the old days, Anna Selina's great-grandfather had been renowned for his fragrances. But Anna Selina believed that his signature perfumes were really the work of her great-grandmother. That's what Nev thinks, anyways. Elizabeth returned home one afternoon to find her mom dusting the guest room. Back from Anna's house? Margaret asked as she cleaned the lamp. Yeah, Elizabeth said. Who's coming over? Margaret shifted her attention to the desk, rubbing the dust cloth in expert circles. Trey's bringing his girlfriend over for the weekend. Elizabeth's brother was a junior in college. His girlfriend wore red baseball caps over a swinging blonde ponytail and short denim skirts over long tan legs. She fulfilled their mother's expectations completely. Run get some clean sheets, sweetie. Elizabeth's mom gestured toward the hall closet. Elizabeth found a fresh pair, scented of laundry detergent in the clothesline. In summer, her mom aired the linens outside before putting them in the dryer, it was one of Elizabeth's favorite things about warm weather. Together they stripped and remade the bed. I'll probably be making this bed up for your boyfriends before too long, Margaret said. Can't believe my little girl's going off to college so soon. Elizabeth smiled but didn't answer. The moment evoked a memory. A day several years ago, her brother's first big date. Their mother had hugged him by the door, straightening his shirt collar telling him to have fun and be real careful. After closing the door, she turned to Elizabeth, sitting at the kitchen table with her homework. I'll probably be telling you the same thing before too long, Margaret had said, looking misty. She said it differently now, like she was reassuring herself most of all. This was why Elizabeth never answered. It was the kind of secret that became too big to tell anyone, even yourself. It was the kind of secret that fell apart when you forced it into words. 
Yeah, she said. I'm going to miss you guys. She helped her mother straighten the bookshelves and fluff the pillows. She wondered if her mother knew how silly it was to enact this guest room charade. Undoubtedly, Trey's girlfriend would sneak up to his bedroom once the lights were out. Elizabeth suspected that her mother did know this, yet observed the ritual anyway. Rituals were the straight lines they walked along, charades the defenses that kept their lives in check. Cabin in the Mountains, with him, maple syrup and the rich oils of freshly chopped walnuts, tender golden waffles hot off the iron, crackling fireplace, dancing flames tinged with pine smoke and sizzling sap, the dense warmth of the cabin air, earthy smell of goose-down comforters, pungent coffee brewing drip, drip, drip. She's warm all over, shuffling in wool socks. He drizzles syrup on her waffle in a complex pattern of circles and stars. With his index finger, he rubs the tip of her nose. They grin at each other. They don't need to say a word, so they don't. Do you wish you could see him? Elizabeth asked. Maybe. Yes, of course. Where is he? Somewhere in Europe. Nev doesn't like to talk about it. Maybe she doesn't know. Why did he leave? I don't know. Because Nev was always more wrapped up in making perfume than anything else. Because she wanted to have adventures. Because she's never really gotten around to understanding that she is a grown-up and this is real life. I guess she thought that magic excused her from all that. Surprised by Anna Selena's outburst, Elizabeth was quiet for a moment. Though she accepted it, she never understood the tension between Anna Selena and Nev. Nev was interesting and charming and let Anna Selena do whatever she wanted. Sometimes she even gave them a bottle of red wine or money for dinner at restaurants they could never afford. Elizabeth thought for a while. Maybe he left for the same reasons that people always leave. Like what? Anna Selina asked, strangely hostile. But Elizabeth didn't have an answer. She thought about her own father, who lived with them yet had seemed absent for years. She had no sense with which to remember him, not even a scrapbook. She wanted to tell Anna Selina that fathers didn't matter. We don't need fathers, she would say. We don't need men. We don't need boys. We could be perfectly happy on our own together. But she was afraid that Anna Selina wouldn't understand. Cooking dinner with him. The crisp sweetness of red bell peppers and refreshing cucumber. Sweet mango and acidic pineapple. Conflicting scents of mint, cilantro, and basil. Fresh-pressed garlic. Mingled juices messy on her fingers. His aftershave is citrus, aromatic. Notes of lemon, bergamot, musk, cedarwood. His smell is something different. A scent that only exists in her mind. Comfort. She was so happy then, Anna Selina said, speaking first. Doesn't she seem happy? Not like now, 
always sitting alone, working or drinking wine. She seems comfortable, Elizabeth said cautiously. But she could never be comfortable, Anna Selina grumbled. Oh, no, we have to travel around the world, always searching for new scents and things. She acts like her whole life is about finding new stuff, just so she can remember it later on. I th think she knew that she couldn't be happy unless she lived life with lots of adventure and excitement, Elizabeth said carefully. She thought this sounded very much like Anna Selina herself, but she wasn't sure if Anna Selina knew it yet. I don't understand why we can't just live a normal life, Anna Selina said. No perfume, no stupid magic. But why would you want a normal life, Elizabeth wondered, but didn't say aloud. How come we never go to your house, Anna Selina said. I want to go to your house. Because it's boring, Elizabeth said. So, Anna Selina said, then, no, it's not. Okay, Elizabeth sighed. We'll go to my house this time. They walked through the woods together, Anna Selina leading the way. They emerged from the woods in Elizabeth's backyard, blinking in the blazing sun. The world smelled of warm pine straw and melting asphalt. It was a Thursday, which meant that Elizabeth's mother would be at home and her father would be at work. Her parents had a bad marriage, but it was the boring kind. They never got into fights because they never talked. Elizabeth's father spent his time mowing the lawn, washing the car, and organizing the garage. Elizabeth's mother spent her time vacuuming the floors, polishing the furniture, and making balanced meals. The garage was very neat, with a spotless concrete floor. Dinner was very predictable, with a meat, a starch, and a vegetable. Occasionally, her parents discussed the news, or how messy the neighbor's yard looked. I will never get married, Elizabeth vowed whenever she thought about them. Elizabeth and Anna Selina banged through the screen door and took off their shoes. That was the rule. Hey, Elizabeth called. Her mother appeared from the kitchen. Hey, Liz, she said. Oh, hello, Anna Selina. Would y'all like some cookies? Hi, Margaret, Anna Selina said. Yes, please. Margaret pulled away the plastic wrap from a plate of cookies and offered it to them. Elizabeth rummaged in the refrigerator for her carton of soy milk. Margaret was comfortably middle-aged, a little pudgy around the middle, but tall enough to carry it well. She maintained her figure by going to step aerobics twice a week with ladies from church. Her blonde hair was darker than Elizabeth's, with tones of gray and gold cut into a smooth shoulder-length bob. It was the haircut she'd had for years. Margaret sat at the table and watched them eat, taking nothing for herself. Now that she was in her forties, she hardly ate anymore. On the mantel was a picture of Elizabeth's parents at their high school prom, looking impossibly young and fresh-faced. Sometimes Elizabeth caught Margaret staring wistfully at the picture. She wondered if her mother was remembering the days when she and Elizabeth's dad still loved each other, or the days when she was pretty and thin. Elizabeth munched her cookie. Anna Selina talked, laughed, 
complimented the cookies, dipped her cookies in milk, dropped crumbs on the table, clattered around the kitchen looking for paper towels. Elizabeth watched her. It was impossible not to. She was an irresistible force, drawing Elizabeth's attention with magnetic power. Elizabeth glanced at her mother, sitting at the table with her hands folded. While Elizabeth watched Anna Selina, Elizabeth's mother watched Elizabeth, worry in her eyes. She saw the adoration on Elizabeth's face, the unrequited longing. For a moment their eyes touched, and Elizabeth understood. She wanted to say, What, me? You're the one with problems. But she just looked away. Swing set by the pier. Aquatic notes. Synthetic, but tantalizing with a tang of salt, sweet undertone of fresh watermelon. Rotting vegetation. Algae. Damp wood. An aura of fish, gleaming scales, gutted insides. Accumulated scum on the dank undersides of the pier. Gently lapping waves as tame as a riverbank, licking the white sandbar. Cold sand scuffing beneath bare feet. The distinctive pungency of metal clinging to their fingers. The swings creaking wearily. Their bare toes trailing lines in the sand. The gulf is impossibly dark, and the waves lap invisibly on the beach. This is their last moment. Goodbye is coming, so they let the silence linger as the end inches closer with each groan of the swing set. Once your heart's been broken, there's nothing left to say. Affected by the fragrance, Elizabeth and Anna Selina didn't say anything either. But Elizabeth thought ahead to the fast-approaching future when they would say goodbye, too. She wanted things to end joyously, with promises of more to come. Which meant there were many things that simply must remain unsaid. It was an evening in late July. They sat with Nev in the living room as she drank wine and studied a creative brief. Then she read it aloud. It described a woman the kind of woman that every woman longs to be, sexy but reserved, alluring but restrained, ever the object of unrequited love and never its victim. It was Nev's job to decide what this woman should smell like. Ideas? Nev asked, refilling her wine glass. Lemon ice, Elizabeth said. Violets, Anna Selina said. I imagine her in a sailboat, Nev said, sitting to one side, laughing a little, an obscure smile on her face, raking her fingers through her hair. Not aquatic, though, Anna Selina said. No, Nev said. Too open. It has to be something more sophisticated and mature. Amber and iris, Anna Selina said. Anna Selina flipped through the stacks of fashion and beauty magazines that Nev kept for inspiration. The fashion spread sparked ideas, fleeting visions of potential scents. Perfume is about the future as much as it's about the past. It draws on desire even as it plays with our memories. Anna Selina browsed the magazines, 
comparing herself to the supermodels with their endless legs and glossy complexions. Don't be silly, Elizabeth said. They're not even real. She thought about launching into a speech about tools of the patriarchy, but usually that was Anna Selena's job. Anna Selena shrugged. Real or not, I still wish I looked like that. Oh, and I still wish he was my boyfriend. Delicious. She pointed to a Dior or Ralph Lauren man that looked like a boy. He was shirtless and gorgeous, perfectly sculpted. He didn't look real either. Elizabeth felt a flash of betrayal, which faded immediately into the bloom of embarrassment. She picked up a magazine for herself and didn't say anything else. They looked at the pictures, but they didn't rip apart the paper tabs to smell the perfume. Those samples were empty now, nothing more than pretty scents. They weren't alive, and they had no stories to tell. Rock concert, wearing his perfume. Essence of rose, rose absolute. The sheerest hint of violet and mandarin. Rich bass notes of woody ambers, golden and glowing. Nev wears this scent layered between her breasts and on her wrists. The scent is her intoxication, her fever dream. There's the haze of cigarette smoke, and the tang of beer and the breath of the man beside her, the salt of her own sweat. Music crashes around her, and the musician she loves screams into his microphone, his voice soaring upwards from his slender frame. She's close enough to see his tattoos. Every time she brushes away her hair, her gold bracelets tinkle against her skin, and she breathes the scent emanating with her pulse, the scent that remains her favorite. It's the scent she made when she fell in love with him. Like the daughter they created together, with her freckled cheeks and frank smile and heart-shaped face. He will remain with her always. She can't decide if that's consolation. So she loses herself in the music and tries not to miss the feeling of his arms around her. Summer faded. The trees were no longer as vibrantly green, and the thunderstorms came in full force. Clouds rolled in midday, pouring torrential rains on hot pavement, so that steam rose from the puddles. Thunder rang like gunshots, bathing the sky in electric light. Summer faded and fall drew closer, bringing immense waves of change. Anna Selina would leave for London in just two weeks. Elizabeth felt she was already losing her, as if Anna Selina was drifting away even when they were side by side. They sampled Parade in New York City, 1986. Afterward, Anna Selina smiled. She knows I have the box, Anna Selina said. She wants us to explore the rest. Maybe she thinks it will make me change my mind. Will it make you change your mind? Elizabeth asked. No, Anna Selina said, but she shrugged, and Elizabeth could tell it wasn't that simple anymore. They tried philosophy at the cafe in Paris, lost without a map in Rome, possible ferry sighting, until only one remained. In silent agreement, they'd both saved it for last. 
First kiss. They embraced ritual, brushing scent on their wrists and clavicles. Essence of roses, rose absolute. It flutters, it wavers, it remains pure and true. The cream tinged with pink, the irresistible red. Roses complicated by middle notes, duplicitous jasmine and finicky heliotrope. Vanilla, a warm beginning that darkens to a seductive core. A garden at twilight, when the blooms drift shut and the scents are strongest. The first star appears. It's not a star at all but Venus, flickering unevenly, lit with the brilliance of its flaming sky. He stands beside her, his arm around her shoulders. His arm circles tighter, pulls her in close. His jaw inches toward hers. Stars explode on the insides of her eyelids. Anna Selina and Elizabeth lay side by side. Their eyes opened slowly. Their arms were sweet with the fragrance of roses. Elizabeth's heart thudded inside her chest, flushing her cheeks with rose-like pink. She thought, now. If not now, then never. She glanced sideways at Anna Selina, dark hair spread across the pillow. Her cheeks were flushed and freckled. Her eyes remained half-closed, her lips slightly parted, her fingertips tense. Remembering, or imagining, a world that happened before she was born, lives that excluded her before they conceived of her. Or maybe, simply wanting. Elizabeth saw everything Anna Selina thought, and none of it included Elizabeth. In her own way, Anna Selina had told Elizabeth everything she needed to know. So then, never. They'd opened the last file. They'd dreamed the last dream. There was no more memory, only an ending. There was only the sensual summer, coming to an end and bringing goodbye. When Elizabeth lay in bed that night, a cave tunneled its way through her chest, and an emptiness opened inside her arms. Anna Selina left a week later. The night before her flight, they sat in her living room, sharing a bottle of champagne with Nev. Bubbling with excitement, Anna Selina imagined the worlds that lay before her across the ocean. She dreamed aloud of adventures in faraway European cities. Elizabeth pretended to be happy for her. Promise me you'll call whenever you come to visit, Elizabeth said. I'll drive back to see you. It was only a couple hours. Nothing like a transatlantic flight. Anna Selina promised she would. Elizabeth knew she wouldn't. They hugged each other tightly, hair brushing each other's cheeks. I'll come in the morning to say goodbye, Elizabeth promised. What time are you leaving for the airport? Anna Selina was vague. After breakfast, she said finally. The next morning was humid, suffocating. The sky was gray with slow-moving clouds. Heat crackled anxiously in the air, anticipating rain. Elizabeth ran all the way through the woods, taking a simple comfort in the way her sneakers pounded against the dirt. As she emerged from the woods on Anna Selina's side, the first thunderclap shook the treetops. When she knocked on the door, it was Nev that answered.
I came to say goodbye, Elizabeth said breathlessly, wiping sweat from her forehead. Nev frowned. I'm sorry. She left already. I just got back from dropping her off. There was another ear-splitting crack of thunder. For an instant, Elizabeth imagined it as an earthquake, the ground opening beneath her, a crevice widening between her feet. Lightning snaked across the sky. Looking closer, Elizabeth saw Nev's red-rimmed eyes and pale smile. For a minute, she felt sorry for Nev. Anna Selina had left her, too. But then she remembered all the memories, all the adventures, all the cities that Nev knew. Anna Selina deserved to know them, too. She hated them both for everything they would do without her. She turned abruptly for home. Wait, Nev said. She disappeared into the house, leaving the door half open. When she returned, she held an envelope. The word Liz was scrawled in looping cursive across the front. She asked me to give this to you. Elizabeth received the envelope cautiously. There was a lump in the middle, a shape she recognized. Thank you, she said, even though she felt too sad to be polite. Come back and say hello sometime, Nev said. I will, Elizabeth said. She wouldn't. She ran home. The storm inhabited the world in a war of light and noise, the first fat raindrops hitting the pavement just as she made it to her own yard. She went to her bedroom and closed the door. She was trembling, but she managed to open the envelope anyway. Inside was a note, scratched in leaking black ink on creamy cardstock. My first, I let Nev show me a few things. I made it for you. Love always, Anna Selina. The note was wrapped around a vial shaped like all the others. Tears coursed down Elizabeth's cheeks. I can't believe she left without saying goodbye, she told herself, but it was a lie. Anna Selina was the kind of person who never wanted to say goodbye or, or never needed to. Elizabeth wasn't surprised, not really, and that hurt the most. She flung herself across her bed and sobbed, drenching her pillow with a flood of tears. There was a knock at the door. Elizabeth ignored it. A minute passed, then her mother opened the door, peered in cautiously, and rushed to the bed. Elizabeth tried to stop crying. She willed herself to corral the tears inside or send them back to the source. She couldn't. She sobbed. Margaret tucked Elizabeth's hair back and made soothing noises. Oh, sweetheart, she said. Did Anna Selina leave? Yes, Elizabeth squeezed out. Margaret shook her head in silent regret. You poor thing. She got up, found tissues, offered them over. You're heartbroken, aren't you? Elizabeth nodded, blew her nose. She sniffled and hiccuped and blew her nose again. Her mother petted her hair and Elizabeth surrendered to it, feeling like a child again, lulled by her mother's gentle fingers. Sweetie, her mother said. There will be more girls, lots more. She never really saw you anyway.
She never got how special you are. But I know. Elizabeth heard the quaver in her mother's voice. She didn't look at her. She couldn't. Everything will be all right, Margaret said, her hand still stroking Elizabeth's hair. Then she straightened her back and squared her shoulders as if she'd made a decision one she was determined to see to the end. Trust me, sweetie. Everything will be all right. A few days passed before Elizabeth opened the vial. Maybe she wanted to get over being angry. Maybe she wanted to save it for later. She wasn't sure. She kept busy, packing for school and shopping with her mother, who never stopped thinking of things Elizabeth might need. Finally, she was ready. She sat on the bed, removed the vial. It wasn't labeled. The liquid was perfectly clear. She dabbed a few drops on her collarbone, then swiped her fingertip across the crease in her arm. She stretched out, closed her eyes. She breathed out, breathed in, breathed out. Delicate woody smells of forest and moss, a hint of cool water, dark earth, smooth stone, notes of magnolia and honeysuckle, warm skin and hair. The boulder at the edge of the stream that felt like the edge of the world. The hard swirls of granite cool to their fingertips. The trickle of water below. The rustling in the trees, live with vibrations that began in the roots and traveled to the highest leaves. The hollows in their knees. The freckles on their shoulders. Their drumming feet. Their slender fingers. Crooked smiles, shining eyes, swinging hair, a thudding heart. I have a secret for you. And welcome back. Desirina told us about this story. The setting of this story is very like the neighborhood I lived in as a teen in the suburbs of Charlotte, North Carolina. The story also draws on my own experiences as a teen girl, attempting to understand and accept my own identity. It's an emotional story for me and has always been one of my favorites among my own work. It took a couple of years to edit, polish, and sell, but this story was originally written in Clarion in 2007. The critiques of my teachers and classmates were essential in helping me turn it into a finished draft. And now, the story works for me a bit like Nev's perfume. When I read it again for a moment or two, I have this vivid memory with the visceral clarity of the alien architecture of the UCSD campus, the bougainvillea draping everything, the smell of eucalyptus, and the chill of desert breeze. Wow. Weird. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm in California now, too. Huh. Thank you for that, Desirina. We will breathe deeply. Feedback this week is for Gregory Norman Bossert's The Telling, read by Kean McMahon. This was the World Fantasy Award-winning story about the staff of an estate and a child after the lord of the estate had died. Also, there were bees. Feedback for it was pretty positive. 
There was a fun little discussion about whether the story was more Lovecraftian or straight-up gothic. Albion Moonlight also said, The gender thing was well done. Halfway through, I thought, oh, she's a girl. I thought, she was a boy. Okay. Then later, I realized what the author had done. No easy feat to write a story in English with gender ambiguity. The house's fate appears to have been sealed from the point at which the servants allowed the perversion and the false lord in the name of propriety. Mel's leaving and taking the bees seem like the inevitable endgame flowing from that mistake. I thought that it was interesting and appropriate that Mel chose to leave. Mel could have tried to stay and take Mel's place as the rightful lord of the house, but that would not have been right, and it is not what any kid coming of age really wants. They want to see the world and make their own way. And if they can do it with a swarm of bees, so much better. Electric Paladin said, I love this story. It was so freaking weird. And then the end, when the character finally says, I'm leaving this screwed up place and I'm taking the bees with me, we out? It was brilliant. I got all misty. I can't wait to hear more from this author. Me too, Electric Paladin, me too. Head on over to forum.escapeartist.net let us know what you thought of this week's story, whether or not it was a sweet fragrance to your nose, or if you thought it stunk. We'll see you there. And if you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Our podcast relies on you to keep us paying our authors and to help us continue running. Thanks. That's our show for this week. On behalf of the entire team here at Podcastle, LaShawn Wanick, Graham Dunlop, Sarah Goldman, Arun Jiwa, N.K. Hobson, Peter Wood, Anna Schwind, and myself, Dave Thompson. Thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with a swashbuckling Podcastle original. Until then, make sure and take some time to smell the roses. And everything else. We'll see you then. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Our closing quote today is from Patrick Suskind, who wrote, Odors have a power of persuasion, stronger than that of words, appearances, emotions, or will. The persuasive power of an odor cannot be fended off. It enters into us like breath into our lungs. It fills us up, imbues us totally. There is no remedy for it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>